When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, I, I, I drug this guy away from the, what is it, it, Dirk? Is it is it Prices Right? You know, is this? Are you watching? Are you just are you watching Prices Right? Is are you, is it the Showcase Showdown well, here that I pulled you away yeah, from? Nick, Nick <laughs> it's, it's actually uh, I'm more efficient with that. With Prices Right, you you gotta watch too many commercials and yeah. stuff like that. So I actually prefer to DVR the Golden Girls uh, <laughs> and, to, and to go back and. You can hit about three episodes in fifty nine minutes. And, yeah, and that's that's my preference. You can watch Ricky Lake or Jenny Jones or Jerry Springer. Yes. Oh man, those shows, boy! You had a sick day. You were like, "What on earth is Jerry Springer going to be talking about today?" This is going to be you absolutely know, crazy. It, it's so funny. I, as I've been home all these years, even when I was, you know, working full time and all that, I was I was home during the day, and I would never turn on the TV during the day because. I just have always had this attitude that if the TV's on between the hours of like eight and five, unless you're unless you're working out, it's a complete it's a complete waste of time. So you're right. um, No, no. buy. I'm sorry to anybody who produces television during those hours, but uh, the TV does not come on until like at least six o'clock. What is that? You're right. Like if if I you turn on the TV, like what is even on at one o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday or Tuesday? I don't know. I really don't know. Well, it's sort of like, you know, the, the world is filled with, with strip mall businesses that I, you, you'll drive by it and you'll be like, has anybody walked in that business in the last 12 years? <laughs> and it's sort of like that with TV shows, right? It's like there's 347 channels. Right. And at 1230 in the middle of the day, are there 14 people in the world watching this show? There cannot be. It just can't. I know. I'm with you. I I. Just can't imagine that there's an enormous audience watching Bar Rescue at like twelve thirty in the afternoon. You know, I, but maybe there is. Maybe maybe there is. Are you? Hey, Stephen Stephen A. Smith has made a lot of money at that time of day. Boy, so. I you know I, I do remember there. I've given this little anecdote because I've always been of the like I don't understand when I when I watch those shows or and which is basic. I mean, never. I mean, I can't say I've ever really like. All right, first take is on. I'm going to watch it from start to finish. I've never done it, but like. I found I remember I was I was getting my media credential at the Big East tournament, one of the very first Big East tournaments I did. I get into Madison Square Garden, I'm taking this like I get in and there's all these Madison Square Garden workers there. And they had clearly taken a train to MSG and they were streaming first take on their phone. So imagine wow. you're like on an elevator and they're watching Stephen A. Smith scream about something, and I'm like, Oh, this is the audience. Like, because I used to always be like, what audience loves this? Like this guy, this guy that took the subway. He's got to, you know, he's got to, he's got to work at MSG for the day doing God knows what. Like this is the audience. But so this, he's one of the 14 that we're talking about that's watching TV, but in a different way. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is where the generational stuff really um, is apparent to me. But, but when I see people watching, you know, when, when I'm on my phone, uh, I'm 41 years old. When I'm on my phone, it's either scrolling like words in, you know, articles, yep. Twitter, um, you know, or it's or it's listening, you know, 
earbuds in or AirPods in or whatever uh, and listening to podcasts or, or something like that. It's, it's not watching stuff on my phone. And, and man, like you, you, if you're around 16 year olds or 24 year olds, even, I mean, they are watching stuff on their phone and, and that has never appealed to me very much. Uh, so I think that's really interesting. Like people, Nick, people will just spend hours upon hours just watching, you know, YouTube shorts or, you know, yeah. and it's, uh, it's just not my thing. I don't, I don't know if it's, if it's just age or what it is, but it, it makes you wonder like about content. It's like, who the hell is, I, I don't understand the appeal of some of this stuff. Right. So, uh, I, I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm still a headphones guy walking the dog or going Me to the too. grocery store, you know, listening to, to Nick Ball and, and Bo Rude on the podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm not a, you know, I staring at a 45 second video of a cat jumping over a tree. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. I know. I, I, uh, sometimes I'm worried about my ability to entertain myself where like, if I got to do the dishes, I'm like, okay, hold on. This is going to be 20 minutes of doing the dishes. What podcast am I listening to? And I get it all set up. I get my air. Like, am I incapable of just doing the dishes without something stimulating my brain? Like any task, laundry, d- mowing the lawn, dishes. Like I have to throw some sort of podcast in while I'm doing that. Well, and and just to take it a step further, then there's a sense of like, when you get to a commercial, it's like, oh, I got to fast forward through the commercial. I can't have, I can't, you know, I can't accidentally listen to 24 seconds of, right. of a gambling commercial. I right. have to fast forward through that. There's just, there, there's this, there's this search for efficiency in everything that, that I do. Uh, and I think more and more people are like that. The problem is, and this is where we, you know, potentially get into real, real life conversation is I think I have, um, you know, relinquished or compromised my ability to just sit and think, right? Yeah. It's like you're trying to be, uh, I don't know if it's entertained or just accompanied at all times. I mean, I, you know, I just, I took the dog for a walk this morning and it was 25 minutes or whatever. And, and I had, you know, I was listening to stuff the whole time and it's like, man, 20 years ago, I would have been doing that and I just would have walked the dog and I would have been thinking and, I think we give up something when we, when we lose that time. Uh, and yet I, I'm not sure I have the attention span to do it anymore. Yeah. It's, I'm actually kind of concerned and have been, you know, for many years about that part of my personality. It's gotta be healthy and necessary to sit and think for a period of time, or it just, it has to be, but we have with the ease at which it is to entertain yourself with anything you it's just it it doesn't happen. But you're right. Like there, that can't over the course of time. It'll be interesting to see how that erodes at society, culture, or whatever. The inability to just think. And Nick, the weird part is, even with all that time that I that I'm potentially have um, you know communication at my fingertips, I'm not I'm not a better friend than I was. Right. I'm not calling people more than I was. I'm not going to lunch or dinner with people more than I was like in the midst of all that accompaniment, I'm, I'm, I'm isolating myself more than ever before. So, uh, that's the sort of the irony of it is it's like, I feel, you know, and this is not a new thought. Everybody, everybody who studies social media talks about this, but, but I'm, I'm connected more than ever. And I'm isolated more than ever. Uh, you know, my kids get home or my wife gets home at the end of the day. And I feel like I've been connected to the world when in fact, 
you know, I've, I haven't talked, I haven't literally talked to anybody during the day. Right. Uh, it's, it's a very, very strange phenomenon that, that I think has a lot of, you know, ramifications. I mean, you study, you study, uh, you read articles about loneliness and loss of friendships and things like that. And a big part of it is like, we feel connected even when we're not. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of that is, is the Twitter and the podcasts and all that stuff. It's like, you get to the end of the day and it's like, Oh yeah, I was, you know, I was listening to people all day. I was talking to people all day and it's like, Oh wait, actually the only people I called was, you know, my, my, uh, you know, DoorDash or whatever. So, um, so I don't know. It's, it's concerning. These are, these are not like new thoughts for me. No, but it, but you're right. But, but it is, it is stuff that I think is, is a a product of, of the digital social media world we live in. By the way, do you get tired of now that you have, you, you know, so you left the Omaha world Herald, how, how, I mean, I did the low hanging fruit joke of like, boy, are you, Hey, geez, what are you doing? You just drinking milk and, and, and hanging out at your house. Like what do you, have you gotten tired of these people that act like you're just like, you're, you're at your house as like a bum right now. Like clearly that's not what's happening. Oh, I think that's probably pretty, you know, pretty true. That's what happening. Um, but, but it's, it's not, you know what? It's funny. I probably get asked, I don't know, 15 times a week and it's always in this tone. Ready? Are you ready for it? Yeah. Give me, I was going to say, give me the, give me the canned answer and tone of how you, Hey Dirk, geez. Wow. What what are you doing now? Huh? Yes. That's it. That you nailed it. You nailed it. (laughs) And you, you, you almost even got the tone exactly right. So, so what are you doing now? You know, it's like. Oh geez, I don't know. Like, you know, and on 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 bad days, I kind of just I respond with eh, not much. You know, right. just kind of enjoying life. Uh, and on, and on good days, I'm like, you know, I'm just I'm just uh, really pursuing a lot of opportunities. I'm thinking about things a lot. Uh, you know. Yes. I, I don't know. It's weird though when you have when you have three kids. Um, you know, the the, the hours of like productivity seems shorter and shorter than ever. So like, you know, I'm taking my daughter to a doctor's appointment and I'm coaching my seventh graders basketball practice. And I'm, you know, writing an email to the basketball parents. And it's like, you know, you you sort of, there's not as many hours in the day for productivity as there used to be. Yes. Um, And so I think that's part of it. Uh, When you throw in the occasional round of golf and, you know, the house project, it's like, man, that was a, that was a full day right there, and I didn't I didn't do a single thing. Right. So, uh, I don't know, Nick. It's weird. It, it's it kind of feels like uh, being you know semi retired at age forty one, and that doesn't feel very uh, that doesn't feel lasting. Uh, but on the other hand, I don't feel bored. Uh, I don't feel an urge to write. It's weird. I still feel an urge to like stay connected to you know, to what's happening in the world, but I don't really feel an urge to, to comment about it or, or to say how I feel about it. That's good uh, though. That I, 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 cause for me, I, I, so I listened to a little bit of your conversation with Josh Peterson and Jack Mitchell and I, I, you know, you went through kind of your whole reasonings for leaving the Omaha world Herald and all that stuff. And I found myself nodding in agreement for a lot of what I went through in 2019 when I left radio to kind of spread out and and do some some different things and obviously now I'm doing this podcast and and whatever but one of the things that's always been comforting for me is I've had some people go do you miss radio and I'm like not one 
bit. Like there's not been one moment where I'm like, God, I tell you, you know what I really wish I was doing? I really wish I was doing a radio show today. Like I now I now it's maybe a little bit of a cop out because I'm getting to still kind of express my opinions in front of a microphone, but it's in a podcast instead of a radio. But I guess I say all that to say it's got to be I think it's it's good. Like sometimes your body and your brain and your heart will like let you know, like, yes, do you're doing the right thing. Like the fact that you haven't felt this burning desire to to here comes Nebraska's spring game. I got to churn out a column. Like, that's good. This means you probably have, have have done the right thing, at least in the short term, for what's best for Dirk Chatlin's brain and heart. Yeah, and, and you know, what I told those guys, and I, I, I hope I'm not, um, you know, I hope I'm not diminishing my, my work or my legacy or whatever, but I, I, I should have done it two years ago, Nick. I mean, right. it's, I was ready at that point. Um, so, you know, th- there were, there were several factors that, that kind of played a role in, in me wanting to get out of, uh, daily journalism. One is, um, you know, one is, is obviously family time. I mean, you, the kids get older and like I said, there's just fewer hours in the day to sit and grind and think, and, you know, certainly to, to commit, you know, a lot of creative energy to, to big projects. I mean, that's just, and, and that's hard. It's just hard. I mean, I had a 13 year old, a 10 year old and an eight year old. And, and you feel like they're just growing up so fast and you feel like you want to be part of it. And, you know, you, when I, when I'm sitting here trying to write a 5,000 word feature story about a high school coach in Nebraska, it's like, it, it just feels like that's a couple days where, where I'm completely checked out. And, and that, I don't know. I just, I kind of got to the point where it's like, all right, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to make that compromise. Uh, and I'm fortunate enough, um, you know, to where I had that opportunity, some, some, you know, there, there's lots of cases where I wouldn't have that opportunity to sort of be as involved as I am. So, so family's part of it. Uh, you know, the, the demise of the, of the newspaper industry is part of it. I, I think the people that I work with are, are so freaking good at what they do. Uh, but, but it, it becomes harder. Um, everybody has to do a little bit more as resources get smaller. And, and so I think that's a part of it. Um, a huge part of it was back in about 2017, 18, 19, um, kind of up to the point of 24th and glory. And even into COVID, uh, I was doing some really big projects and I kind of found my groove. Um, you know, I was writing, I was writing like 50,000 words about a a retired, you know, UNK basketball coach. And it's like, you know, (laughs) there isn't, first of all, there's not a newspaper in the country that would publish all that. (laughs) So I'm, I'm super grateful to the world Herald. I, I still remember uh, my executive editor, who's a who was a Missouri grad, and I I was in a meeting with him trying to persuade him why we needed to have forty thousand words uh, in an eight part series on the Danny Knee era, uh, <laughs> and and he's just like I don't really get it. They weren't very good. Why are we doing this? And I'm like. My response is like, oh, you don't understand. People that lived it, they're totally going to eat it up. Just wait, and and you know they did, right? But uh, but, but you kind of have to be a sicko to to go down some of those rabbit holes. Um, and so I I'd done you know a few of those projects, kind of culminating with with a, a project that we turned into a book, this 24th and Glory history of North Omaha athletes. And uh, after that, I was just a little bit spent, and and it was really hard to sort of transition back into you know, what, what is Nebraska going to do against North Dakota on Saturday? Um, it's, it just felt a little bit empty. Um, 
you know, and, and so there's lots of different things. Part of this is like, you know, kind of the classic midlife crisis thing. Yep. You know, you get, get, you get to 40 years old and you start asking yourself, is this the only thing I'm ever going to do? Am I going to have this job until I'm 65? Like that used to be really appealing to me when I was 25 or 30. When you get to 41, uh, you start questioning that a little bit. And it's like, man, I would really like to be uh, a more active member of my community. I'd like to try to get, you know, I'd like to try some different things. Uh, I, I'd like to maybe, you know, actually go help my parents as they get older. And uh, so just different things, right? Yep. So so I probably should have got out a couple years ago and I probably held on too long. And, and I wasn't, I wasn't, I would like to think that I was producing the same quality of work, but I certainly wasn't producing the same quantity of work the last couple of years. Um, and, and there was a little bit of like guilt and shame with that too. Just personally, it was like, man, I'm not really holding up my end of the bargain here. Um, when something would happen, you know, I, I, I didn't really, um, I didn't really want to cover it. And at the same time, I felt bad for not covering it. Right. Uh, you know, and then, you know, the thing that I, I mentioned to those guys, and I know you can relate to this is when the things, when the sports and topics that you really care about are not creatively stimulating, um, which Nebraska football and Nebraska basketball certainly had gotten to the point over the last few years where it just wasn't very creatively invigorating. Um, you know, it just gets harder. You feel like you feel this burden of, of needing to say something new when you don't really have something new to say. Uh, and, and I realized that that's, that's sort of a, um, I don't know, it, there's an arrogance to that because it's like, um, you know, you have an opportunity to say what you think about the, the most important sports topic in the state. Like that's, that's a luxury. That's not a burden, but at the same time, when you've been doing it for 20 years and people expect you to have something creative to say and new to say, and you don't have something creative and new to say, uh, it just, it gets a little bit old totally. and you feel bad. You feel bad for it. Right. It's like, I remember people coming to me the last few years and they'd be like, so what do you think about this? <laughs> and, and you know, like, I, I would answer the question, but in my heart, I'm like, you know, I don't really think about this. Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't really think about, uh, what Scott Frost is doing right now. Right. Um, and, and again, part of that is like, I remember, so Nick, and again, this is, I want to hammer the point that this is a, this is a, uh, this is a luxury in my life. Okay. It's, it's, I realized how blessed and fortunate I am to say this. But when when Nebraska was playing at Ohio State in Frost's first year, uh, you know, it was like a I think it was the first year. Right. And it, it was a yep. close game. It was Correct. like thirty six, thirty one. Um, and I went I, I went I coached my fourth grade son's basketball game during that game. Um, and and I, I came home and I like caught up on DVR and I wrote a column about it. And I'm just I get to the end of the day and I'm like, what in the hell am I doing? Like, I'm trying to do it. I'm trying to have it both ways here. Right. Um, I need to choose one way, one way or the other, because I'm not, I can't do my job. Well, if I'm, if I care more about coaching a fourth grade basketball game in the middle of this Nebraska, Ohio state game. Um, so lots of different things, Yeah. but, but, but creatively I was a little tapped out and I was certainly tapped out from, uh, from sort of covering the same old things, uh, in, in a world in which those things weren't changing very much. I think if Nebraska would have been 10 and two, if Frost would have turned it around, 
uh, I would have been more eager to sit at a keyboard and explain what I thought. Um, but it, it, it hasn't really played out that way. And I think it's going to be super fun when it, when it eventually turns around and I will probably want to be part of that in some way. Uh, but, but the last few years were not very interesting. Yeah. Okay. So what's interesting is I think in my mind, I was, when I was trying to get into your mind, I kind of thought, well, I wonder if, you know, Dirk had to have been interested when Frost was on the sidelines initially, but then it went poor. And I think for native Nebraskans that are about our age, it is a very, this was a, a very interesting last five years with Frost failing. There was a part like, I felt like there was an entire era and book closing on Nebraska football that is hard to explain that emotion. So I, it, I thought it was maybe like, okay, Frost failing kind of shoved Dirk towards this place. But to hear the anecdote of year one, you already were already kind of in that place. That's interesting to me because were you were you kind of there? You had you had to have been kind of interested with Frost coming back, right? Because I found that wildly interesting, at least initially. Yeah, I was. I was. But but it's also just hard. Um you know, I, I don't know. Please, there's no way to say this stuff with humility because it sounds so ridiculous. No, don't. You need but, to stop worrying but, about. But, but, don't but I, just say it. I, like you, I, everybody I gets what you're where you're coming from. I understand how people, how professional athletes and coaches, um, how they get to a point where they're just like, ah, I'm not sure the grind is worth. You know. Yeah. I'm not sure it's worth it anymore. Yep. Um, and. And, you know, like Nick, there were, there were literally times over the last few years where, where I would write something, I would write a paragraph or, you know, 200 words or I, you know, get rolling on something. And I'd have to think to myself, have I already used that metaphor? Have I already written that before? Uh, you know, and, and as someone who loves metaphor as much as I do, I'm sure you can relate to oh, that or sure. appreciate that. Yes. Uh, but, but it, like, I would seriously have to like do a word search in my, in my computer or my, you know, my old archives, because I was worried that I'd already written it. Uh, I was worried that I was like turning into the old Rick Riley sports illustrated columns where people would realize that, uh, he was using something that he'd written in 1987. And it's like, you know, at that point, it's probably better to get out than to keep, um, trying to come back and, and, uh, and do the same thing over and over again. Um, I think the frost thing was really interesting at the start. Uh, I think it lost momentum pretty quick. You know, it just, by, by the middle of year two, I think everybody was sort of like, Oh shit. Yep. Um, you know, and, and the last, frankly, the last two years, uh, were just an absolute grind. I mean, just a grind. So, um, I, I have immense respect for people, you know, there's not a person in the world that I respect more than, than Sam McEwen, who's, who's also one of my best friends, but, but I could not do what he does, which is find something interesting to say and creative, you know, find something creative and new to say about a situation that has been so uncreative and unnew for so long now. Right. Um, and, and, and to your point, Nick, I think you made an excellent, I think you made an excellent summary of how the end of that era affected people of our generation where there was always this story that, that, that I told myself in my head 
that if Nebraska just did this, it would come back. If they just did, you know, if they just did this, restored this, or, you know, if they went back to the old, if they, uh, if they, if they, you know, followed this, this direction out of the wilderness, uh, it would, it would restore the program. And, and man, I realized Frost wasn't what he was cracked up to be, but that, you know, being the guy in the back of the classroom that was saying, if you just did it this way, it would work out. And then they did it that way and it didn't work out. And it was like, oh man, like, what do you do then? Right. Um, it was sort of like watching a, you know, your favorite adventure movie or star Wars movie or whatever, where the, where the hero is supposed to make everything right at the end and he doesn't. And it's like, Oh, okay. Now what? Yeah. Um, and I think for a lot of people, it's really interesting to see how it's broken down for the fan base. There are still the sickos who follow every single thing every single day. Uh, but there are way more people that have checked out and just sort of made it a social exercise. Like, yeah, I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to probably go. Uh, I like the tailgating and I like the tunnel walk and I like all that, but man, I'm not going to invest myself emotionally in this in the same way. I'm not going to follow the depth chart in the same way. I'm not going to, you know, give my life to it. And I, I probably fall into that camp uh, where, where I'm still interested. Uh, if Nebraska gets good, I will, I will find it super fascinating, but, but at the same time, you know, I think we've just been burned so much that it's hard to be engaged in the same way that we were. And man, if you're not engaged, it's really hard to be a commentator. Yes. If you're not engaged, it's hard to then drum up the creativity that it takes to, to, to do what you did in the, you know, the daily take world and, and the daily opinionist world. And it is, it is hard. Like I, I was trying to think of what an analogy would be to it. You bring up that superhero movie. Like I didn't know if it was a continuation of I, like it's, it's a series, but this specific entity of this series is now done and it's still Star Wars, but it's different now because this does feel like in a weird way. And this doesn't totally make sense, but the, the Callahan era felt like a new era but it still it still felt the same to a certain extent same with Bo same with Riley it all felt like a continuation of this story this is the first time in my life where it feels like there is a clean break and we are on a fresh piece of paper and this is a brand new story for Nebraska football and I I know for me I feel like I've had to drum up more energy to care about rule so far because I think like a lot of us it's like man I don't know how many more times I can go through this yeah and I think it's just first of all I think that's healthy uh I think that's a good thing um I think it's it's appropriate to say you know what Nebraska is one of the worst 10 programs in major conference college football and and therefore we should give this thing time uh we should we should take the daily news events with with an appropriate you know, amount of restraint. Uh, we should not jump in on things that don't matter. We should not fall over ourselves for, for a couple of plays in a spring game. Uh, when there's a transfer or, or a recruit that doesn't pan out, you know, we shouldn't make it the next message board topic. Like these are all appropriate, healthy things to do. And I just feel like we didn't do them very well over the last 20 years because we were just desperate to try to get back to what it was. Um, even as, even as commentators, like I don't, I'm not a fan of the program anymore, but I, I think I was, 
I was so emotionally tied up in sort of the story, Nick, yeah. that the story of restoration, right. That, that I didn't, first of all, I didn't do a good job during the frost era of, of recognizing, um, probably the bigger, the bigger flaws in the way that I, that I did in the Pliny era or, or even the Riley era. Uh, I didn't do a good enough job of that in the frost era because I, I was tied up in story and I, I thought ultimately inevitably he was going to figure it out. Uh, and so I think that's part of it, but we just, I think it's appropriate at this point in time to just say, you know what, let's just sit back. Let's, let's kind of let this thing develop. Uh, let's let him go three and nine in the first year. Let's, uh, you know, he didn't get his big time quarterback, his five-star recruit. Like that's okay. Like it's all, it's all going to, to be judged in an appropriate timeline. Uh, and I feel like people are taking a much more measured, healthy approach than they have at any time since, geez, I don't know, 1957. Like, uh, you know, it, it just, it feels in a better place right now. Part of that is because of Matt Rule, but part of this is because I think the fan base has finally woken up and said, uh, let's recognize what it is and give it time to grow again. And I thought I thought Bo, Bo said something interesting on my pod a couple month and a half ago or so that because I was kind of amazed at how fast everyone moved on from Frost. And well, Bo's, well, there's a lot in that, but one of Bo's initial points, and this is kind of a classic Bo thought, he goes, I think the reason a lot of people moved on was, and I'm paraphrasing here, this was the first unanimous hire that we fully, we being everybody, we fully let, like, we gave them a long runway, and when it was over, everyone knew it was over. There wasn't any people didn't want Callahan, so when that didn't work, there still was the emotions of, well, we didn't want this guy in the first place. And with Bo, there was tons of emotion of, well, it they needed there was, you know, a split, keep him. He's gotta keep he's gotta stay. There was people that wanted him to leave. Riley, no one wanted him. So like I think he was the first candidate. Everybody wanted him. Everybody gave him a long runway. Everybody saw it didn't work. So I think that maybe allows people to move on quicker. Or is it something else? Like why? Because I do feel like it's a ma- and maybe it's a product of firing in the middle of a season that it's harder to be reflective when there's Wisconsin's coming to town and Minnesota's coming to town. But I, I have been struck at how fast people have just turned the page on the freaking savior of the program <laughs> came back yeah. and failed miserably. Yeah, the golden child rides in yeah. on the on the on the white horse. Uh, I, I think. In addition to everybody knew it was over, I think more importantly, everybody was wrong. Everybody was wrong. Okay. Nobody gets to stand on their high horse or their soapbox and say, uh, you know, damn it. I knew it all along. Every freaking buddy who follows this program was wrong. And I think there's a little bit of cleansing and catharsis from that too. You know, you can argue about still stupid stuff, uh, within the the frost program and you know should have done this should have done that but but there's there's not a single person that can say they were right all along about this guy uh because i sure didn't hear those people in in december of you know 2017 um so so i think that's another key point of it i, I do think nick that it would benefit the fan base and it would have benefited the fan base maybe it's too late now to have a little bit more of like a collective reflection 
of what the hell happened because it, it feels like the scar tissue uh, is, is still pretty damaging there. Um, and, and I, not so much from like, a uh, we gotta, we gotta get to the bottom of all the dirty little secrets, but just from the standpoint of like, how did this go so wrong? Right. Like when you, when you go through a, a friendship that, that turns bad or a marriage that turns bad or whatever, I, I think it's important. You know, if you go to a therapy session, you'd probably have a couple long conversations about what went wrong, what happened. And I don't feel like that ever really existed in the midst of the season. As you pointed out, you know, Nebraska fired Scott Frost and five, five days later they were hosting Oklahoma. Right. You know, that's not supposed to happen. I mean, um, so, so I think, I, I do think whether it happens individually, collectively, whatever, you know, we, we need to pull our AirPods out of our ears at some point uh, and just, you know, shut off the prices, right. And, <laughs> and, and have some moments of reflection about uh, what went wrong here. Why did it go wrong? And what are the lessons from it? You know, I, I think probably if, if I had to boil down my own, self-critique it's that i thought scott would be first of all super creatively uh innovative and and you know motivated uh but i just thought you know i remember vividly thinking to myself the day of the the press conference and i never i never wrote it in this term in these terms but but i remember thinking to myself that guy is going to win or he is going to kill himself trying to win uh, I thought he would be so motivated, you know, to do it uh, with his mentor watching, you know, with with all with his family here, all the reasons. Uh, and and the reality was, it, I think it was harder than he thought it was going to be. And, and he probably knew that, A, he didn't have the answers. And to find the answers, he was probably going to, uh, you know, he was probably going to break himself trying to find the answers. And so I think he just emotionally checked out, you know, I mean, he was basically a senior uh, second semester of high school who, who, you know, instead of studying for the calculus test, that was going to be really hard. He just decided to, to go out with his buddies because, yep. you know, it was sort of, it was a, I compare it to a fight or flight reference, you know, reference. He yep. just, he, he just detached, he detached emotionally from, from the grind of it. It was too hard uh, he knew it was going to be too hard, and and I think he was probably worried what it would do to him if he if he took all the measures necessary to fix it, and so he just checked out. And man, what a what a fascinating um, you know psychological experiment the whole thing was. Not only from from Frost's point of view, but from our point of view. You know, what does that do to us as people who have followed the program? you know, for so many decades, what does that do to me personally, who, who remembers, you know, going to that stadium when I was seven years old and, and, and watching national championship games when I was 13, 14, 16 years old, you know, what does that do to me who as, as a sophomore in high school remembers Scott Frost, you know, standing on that, on that field in, in Miami, uh, making an argument for Tom Osborne's national championship. I mean, this, this is just, I know it is. It's so silly. It's so surface level and doesn't matter to like the things that people are actually going through in life. But at the same time, it is so uh, it, it requires such deep reflection about how we feel about what we commit ourselves to and our time to and our resources to. And 
and really what we kind of the story that we tell ourselves, right? Like you, you, the things that you care about in life, you, you create these narratives around them. And one of the biggest ones in my life has been Nebraska football. And man, like the way this whole thing fell apart, it almost in some ways uh, tarnishes all the good memories I have of the program. And like, man, that's even at 41 years old, that's kind of hard to wrestle with. Yeah, no, you're so right. I, I, I don't know if it's and it's one of the things that I think is urgent about the situation that someone like Trev understands is that the that a younger generation doesn't understand. They might have listened to everything you just said and and thought, "What is he talking about?" But people our age and older completely understand it, and that Nebraska football held this place in our minds, in our hearts, and in our life that that was incredibly important, and to watch it kind of culminate into a five-year period of it completely falling apart in front of us is like you can poo-poo that and go guys it's just football it's just a football team you know but it's it's every sports is always more than that and I you know with with Frost failing there's a part of me that that feels like listen Frost had fatal flaws that probably any way you slice it when that when he arrived here if he was built in a certain way that it probably always was going to be doomed to fail but I also think, like, I looked at his time here like Tetris. And, like, it just got away from him early. Anybody that's that's played Tetris, like, you got to stay on it early. You got to keep it. You can't let it pile up. And he missed on a few recruits. Then he lost some close games. And early on, he let a few details slip. And before you know it, like, the thing got higher and higher. And then things started yep. coming faster and faster and faster. And he was like, holy shit. Oh my God. Oh my God. And boom, it's over. Like, and so I think he was probably the way he was built was flawed, but I, I, I do think sometimes sports is a more delicate thing than you think where a few, just a few things. And that's why I'm really interested to watch these first couple of years with rule. I'm like, man, there's these little moments that if they don't go right, it can be like Tetris or whatever. And it builds up. And all of a sudden you could have what was a little thing becomes a big thing. Yeah. That's a, that, that's really interesting because I, I've heard, I've heard, I think I've heard you and Bo talk about that before. Um, and I don't know, I don't know, I don't have a strong opinion either way on that. But it, it seemed the way it all played out, I think the wiring was bad enough that I think I disagree with with some of that okay. because I think. I think, you know, if Akron, if, if they play Akron, okay, if they beat Colorado, if they, uh, if they don't go 0-6 to start, if they, you know, if, it, I think it was still going to go bad. Probably right. I think, it, you know, I, I think over the course of time, there were enough flaws in the foundation and the wiring that I still don't think it was going to work out. Um, you know, I just don't think there was enough um open-mindedness, resiliency, whatever you want to call it, uh, probably lots of different things. But in some ways, I think that was the way that it played out, Nick, is is good because it it went so bad that I don't really go back and, and tell myself anymore if it had just, you know, if they just not tried to host Akron during a tornado. You know? <laughs> right, like, right, right, right. So – I want to I want to use one more metaphor, and this is in regard to the last question. But thinking about those times in the '90s, and, and again, everybody's different. But it's almost like if you find out 
that your favorite, you know, it'd be like if you found out one of your parents was having a double life, you know, and had a second family in in Tucson or something. Yep. Uh, it'd, it'd be like if you, you know, your favorite coach in high school, if you realized that he was, um, you know, that he was he was taking money from from you know, extorting money or something like that. It's just, it's like, you kind of go back and you're like, man, what? It just makes you question a lot of things. It makes you question a lot of things that you believed about the program. Um, and, and obviously it's ability to get back on track, but, uh, that's the part that I think is hard is that if, if it had just fallen apart with somebody else, uh, I don't think it would have, sort of tarnished all the, all the, the love for Nebraska's tradition that I have. Um, and, and in some ways it's harder to enjoy that old stuff because of the, because of what happened over the last four years. No, I, you're, I don't you're know right, if though. you feel that way or not. No, but. I like think, I mean, Riley failed, but it didn't make me question everything, you know, or, or, you know, or Bo gets fired. It doesn't make me question everything. Like, and I don't question everything's maybe a strong way to put it, but yeah, I, mean, but, I don't want to dramatize. This, yeah, we but. don't want to be like, man, was it even real? Like, yes, it was real. They played games and won games for you know forty years, right? Like they had a way of doing it, and it worked in that in that period of time. But I know, it, like, I do think Frost's failure did it just it w- it felt way heavier than any of the other failures for a yep. variety of reasons. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of what I was trying to get at. I mean, it's and at the same time, going back to story, you know, you follow, you really see the world through through story, uh, at least at least how I've been raised. Um, and and the fact that Nebraska did what it did for forty years, I have such a greater appreciation for just the the improbability of that. Um, I mean, it's it's just astonishing, unbelievable. I mean, it's totally astonishing, and, and it pisses me off when people in the national media or in commentary, when they, when they diminish that, when they, when they sort of uh, put Nebraska in the same category as, as a Texas or, or a you know, Notre Dame or a you know, USC. Nebraska was so much better than those programs. Shut up. Okay? Right. Uh, for 40 years, Nebraska was, was so much better than anybody else. And, and it was it, it made no sense whatsoever. It never should have happened. Um, the fact that it happened as long as it did was was a damn miracle. Um, and I think uh, it, it does make me appreciate that more. Uh, but I think the sad part is I definitely realize that the chances of it ever coming back, now, maybe that's what I'm trying to get at, Nick, when I talk about the sadness of this, is is maybe th- what I'm really trying to say is I have finally come to realize that it is never coming back, okay? Right. Um, it, it might – Nebraska can still be, you know, Kansas State or can still be Iowa or can still be – you know, they can still have great seasons. Everybody has great seasons. It's a miracle that Nebraska hasn't had one um, in the last 20 years. But, but just – it's not – ever going to be close to what it was. Um, and, and the, the consequences of that, the ripple effects of that, the fact that my 13 year old son, who's by the way, at the exact same age that I was when Nebraska won the national championship in 1994, you know, that the fact that he's never going to love it the way that I loved it, you know, 
all those things sort of come into clarity uh, when something happens like the Frost era. Right. And I think I think that's the part that everybody has had to wrestle with is like um, it's not just sort of the heartbreak. It's also the, the recognition that it's it's never going to be what it was. And and you, you sort of have to um, you kind of have to to come to that conclusion and how you're going to deal with that. You know, everybody comes to it individually. Some people detach emotionally, and that's probably what I've done. Other people um, sort of find alternatives, you know, and and uh, and other people probably are still in a state of denial in some ways. But right. but but I think I think in some ways it put a bow on the whole thing and the recognition that it's uh, 1962 to 2001 uh, should absolutely go down in sports in American sports history as one of the greatest achievements because of the the conditions and the obstacles uh, that Nebraska faced and they found a way to do it anyway. Yeah. I, and that's the thing. I mean, 40 years, really no down years, really no, like it's one thing to, to catch a good recruiting class or a good four or five year period. I mean, this is a 40 year period of consistent dominance. Now I know it only, you know, the, the, the you had the, the titles, you know, bookended with them for lack of a better term, but yeah, it's uh you're right. Like the sustained excellence that it took from 1960, whatever, to 2001 is is remarkable. And the thing that's the thing that's hard too is like there's a chance some like Matt Rule is like doing great. Like yep. he's doing great. Like he's like this new girlfriend or new boyfriend. Like they're doing all the right things, and it's like, oh man, this person's great. He's saying all the right things. Like you could argue somehow. I might have heard Bishop say this, and it's so true. How is it possible that Matt Rule almost feels like a better fit as Nebraska's head coach than Scott Frost felt? But he kind of does in some ways. But it's still there's just like, you, I don't know. There, there's this like you you use the term scar tissue. There's been just been this scar tissue that I'm still not ready to full. I'm not I'm not healed yet in how I'm kind of processing Rule. Even though yeah, I think he's it, doing great. It, to, to use the relationship, you know, analogy, it, it's like taking your new, you know, girlfriend to, to, to Easter dinner at your, your uncle's house. And, you know, she, she writes like individual thank you cards <laughs> the next day when you get home. It's like, it's like, come on, really? Like you can't right. possibly be this good. Right. Matt rules going to the freaking rodeo. He's going to, <laughs> ho- he's going to hockey games. Like, you know, Ed Foley's like knocking on doors in Cherry County. Like, what the hell is going on here? And at the same time, you're like, uh, uh, part of you, part of you doesn't want to fully embrace it just because of what you've just been through. So that's what I mean. I think there's a, there's a healthy, there's a healthy distance right now. Um, I think it's great that those guys are doing that. So do I. But I also, but I also think it's it's good that people are, are maintaining a little bit of distance from it, a little bit of skepticism, uh, not, not in terms of their motives, but just like, um, you know, it's, it's the same reason you don't fall in love with politicians because they'll, they'll break your heart. You know, they're not going to do everything they say they're going to do. And, um, so, so I think to, to maintain a little bit of distance from it right now is, is a good thing. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of, 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 you know, a healthy, um, sort of a healthy perspective on things, man. I don't, I, there's a bunch of stuff I wanted to hit with you here. I, do you, I mean, with, since we're going kind of deep here, do you, in totality, do you like where sports are at? I know that's a really broad deep, like, but sports is 
in an interesting place right now. It's changing a ton. Maybe I'm falling victim to the narrative that it's changing too much, but like it does feel like it's changing a lot. Do you like where sports are at? I guess you can take that where you want to take it. I think, and I haven't, I haven't given this much thought, but I think one of the, the great symptoms right now of sports is, is the, the, the distance between, um, you know, the best and everybody else is, is greater. Um, there's, there's, there's more, there's more resources. There's more competitiveness. There's more expertise. Every, the, everything is more, more, more. So you see that the youth level, you see the pro level, uh, everybody is, is, you know, committing more of themselves to it. And so I think that if you're into greatness, there's never been a better time to be a sports fan. If you are into like a healthy perspective on life, there's probably never been a worse time to be a sports fan. Um, you know, I, I think if you watch if you watch uh, the recruitment of Dylan Raiola and and how much he's committed and and how much he's committed to being great, and this goes you know all the way down to the seventh grade basketball teams that I see that are that are at a just ridiculous high level. It's it's true of LeBron and Steph that are going to play to their 40s. It's true of you know Brady and uh, you just go down the line the 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 people are grinding more than ever. And I think there are good parts about that. And there are bad parts about that. I, let's take it at a high school level. Okay. Uh, Omaha public schools is, is really suffering because they can't commit the resources and the expertise in the same way that Westside and Bellevue West and Gretna and Miller North are, are committing. Um, you know, the, the gaps between, the people who are are living and dying with it every single day and and grinding every day to be the best the gap between those people and the people who are sort of doing it the old ways is is growing almost every single year and i think if you want to take sports kind of in a healthy dose uh it's getting harder to do that um you know if if you're into greatness and sort of the professionalization of of everything uh, from NIL to, uh, you know, to, to the money that head coaches make and everything else. Uh, if you're into, to just seeing pure greatness, I think you're probably enjoying this stuff. Right. But to me, to me, that's sort of the defining characteristic of the last five, 10 years is everything is just more, 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 right. Uh, it's more games in college. I mean, there's just endless examples of this, but there's so much money and so much time and commitment to it people don't diversify themselves in the same way they're just all in on what they do. And I think, you know, it's like a lot of things in life. There's good parts of that and bad parts about that. Yeah. I, I you're right. Cause like the individual, I'm not one of those people, like the individuals, like I've watched the NBA playoffs. It's like, these dudes have never been better. Like these dudes are in everybody on the floor is insanely good. Right. And same thing where NFL or whatever, like the individuals have never been better, but to me, the stories of these teams and the stories of sports and each season and each league has just never felt thinner to me. And I think a lot of that is just, you. Know, I mean, you just make a list of every top NBA player, take the top 15, 20 NBA guys, like all of them changed team, have changed teams, maybe not just once, but twice. Like that eats at, even those guys individually on their own are great but like Kevin Durant's now on the Suns, you know, it's like, okay, like that's a lot of changes to endure. And then the same thing with, with college football and college basketball. It's like the, it, 
each year in each season is its own individual story because each team feels different. And I guess that maybe that's just for me. Like I, I, I miss the years of a story being built with a specific group, a specific team that I feel like those days feel like they're dwindling. Yep. Continuity. Yeah. Continuity is, is, is slipping more and more. Uh, the stakes are just higher in every single thing. Again, it's from, it's from, your seven-year-old's uh, sports team to all the way up to the highest levels of the NBA. I mean, Mike, Mike Budenholzer, Doc Rivers, and Monty Williams all got fired in the last few days. They were all three coaching, uh, you know, top top eight teams in the NBA, you know, NBA playoff, NBA championship contenders, and they're all out of a job. And that's just everything is more intense, right? Um, so, so I think – Again, it's why you don't see as many lifers in coaching. It's why uh, you see more personalized instruction. It's it, there's just so many manifestations of it. Um, I think it's probably why you see more dynasties because the people who figure it out, you know, they can just the the rich sort of get richer. I mean, Dylan Royola goes to Georgia; he doesn't go to Nebraska. I mean, right. it's, uh, and I think if you're just, it's harder to kind of appreciate sports as a casual exercise anymore. I think that's really what it, what it boils down to, you know, and, and I don't want to be Pollyannish about it because I know it's, it's been a professional endeavor for, for generations now. Uh, but, but it's not quite the same in terms of just sort of a healthy perspective on things. There, there's such a, a fine line between success and failure um, that, that I think that, that has sort of come to, to define, um, the timelines are so much shorter than they used to be. And, and all of that has, has just led to an intensification of everything. I, I want to hit on Husker hoops and Creighton basketball, and then we'll get out of here with, uh, with Nebraska basketball. I was listening to you and Chattel and Sam talk about it. Maybe this was in maybe February or something like that. And Chattel said something that was interesting. You guys are kind of talking about Nebraska basketball and needing to invest in it more and care about it more. And Chattel said that Nebraska basketball, they've never had it, had it being like a successful NCAA tournament team, a, a, you know, a successful basketball program. They've never had it, so they don't really appreciate it or appreciate how good it can be. I, I thought that was like an interesting – I remember being just struck. I was driving. I think I might have been driving to a Creighton game, and I was listening to that. And I was like, "Oh, that's kind of like that's kind of spot on with with if you would to encapsulate kind of the 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 moment for Nebraska basketball." Uh, where are you at with with Husker hoops? Because like, I actually thought Fred Hoiberg. Listen, a part of his job is getting the necessary talent to to win at a high level, and he hasn't been able to do that. But I actually was really impressed with his turnaround last year. Like they went from embarrassingly bad on defense and all those things that we've talked about to where they were actually good in those departments. And man, the team, the the roster they were winning Big Ten games with in January and February. Like you give, there are too many coaches and programs that could have won with those guys, and he was doing it. Um, I just think Fred's got to find a player that changes it. Like kind of like how Creighton found Ryan Sears and Ben Walker and Corver, you know, like I, some he's got to find some transcendent dude that changes it, and I don't know I, that's hard to do. Yeah, so there, there's a lot there. First of all, Chattel's comment really was was one of the, the favorite things that I've ever heard him say because uh, I thought it, I thought it was really good too. And what a con what a contrast between uh, Nebraska basketball 
not knowing what it's missing because they've never had it uh, compared to Nebraska football that is constantly searching for, you know, what they once had. Right. Uh, It's just such a fascinating juxtaposition there. Um, And, and and I think, you know, it's weird because Nebraska basketball in some ways was such a, was such a fun product last year. You, You really want programs that maximize themselves uh, and I think Fred really maximized it, but at the same time you get to the end of it and there's just kind of this empty feeling like, man, was that, was that all there was like, that was the capacity, that was the ceiling, uh, you know, and now they basically have to start over again. I mean, they, so that part was really frustrating and that was kind of there the whole time is it was like, you, you kind of recognize that, that at the end of the year and this, it always feels like this for Nebraska basketball, whenever something good is happening, it's like the shelf life is so short. They have to start over again. Um, so, so I think that part is frustrating. Uh, the part, you know, where it never feels like it completely falls into place. That's hard to stomach, you know, even, even with a roster that fit together really well, they, they had enough injuries where, with it, where they couldn't quite get over the hump. Uh, and then the part, Nick, that, that is really frustrating over the last six weeks is just, I think Fred was sitting there. He had the, he had the keys to the car in his hand and he was standing on the side of the road asking if anybody wants to take it. And, and basically there wasn't a high profile transfer anywhere in college basketball that said, yeah, I'll take it. I'll run your offense. I'll, uh, I'll become, you know, a, a 15 point score in the big 10 because, because I'm the, the focus of your offense, uh, he couldn't get anybody to say yes to that. And man, that's, that's really frustrating and alarming because, but I, I feel like Nebraska was in position to go out and really land somebody that, that potentially could turn it. And I don't feel like they found that guy. Yeah, no, you're so right. I mean, cause I even think there's, uh, I mean, Ari Wasserman wrote something on Riola and, and just him going to Georgia and how, you know, Nebraska missing out on him speaks to the, the challenges of Nebraska football to get back in in the moment and I I actually read that and thought of Hoiberg where it's like I think there are a lot of these players whether it's a Dylan Raiola or a Hunter Salas or a Chucky Hepburn or I mean you'll take your pick of like a local guy or or a a high profile recruit where they like the idea of I'm sure Dylan Raiola loved sitting in his living room with his dad and talking about the idea of going to Nebraska and getting it back on track and and being that guy but it the, those sometimes it's easier to to discuss those things theoretically but when it's your life and your career it's harder to be that one that takes that first plunge where I'm sure Hunter Salas the same way I bet Hunter went on his visit and was like yeah like in theory this sounds great, but I just I don't I don't know if I can be like someone else has got to be the first one to go, you know, go up that hill and peek over the top of it and then say, yeah, yeah, you can come too, you know, like and that, so it's hard. There's a chicken or the egg thing with with that. But you're right. I was kind of struck, too, that like, you know, Hoy, Fred Fred for a month had a starting point guard job open and, and had a hard time filling it. Yeah. No. And, and, you know, the other frustrating part is Nebraska, the, the, the positives, the potential positives that they have, you know, former NBA head coach, uh, you know, some of the best facilities in the country. Uh, it doesn't feel like they ever really take advantage of that. It doesn't feel like that's ever the, you know, the decisive factor in landing a player, you know, it's like, uh, 
why, why can't, why can't they, uh, you know, take advantage of these things that seem like great resources uh, that, that it seems like other programs are, are doing. Uh, I give Fred a lot of credit for changing the identity of the program, changing the, the toughness of the program. That was really, really inspiring to watch them compete and win games at the level that they did. But, but then you have to take that and you have to build on that. Right. And it, and it feels like once again, they kind of squandered, uh, a potential advantage that they had in this off season, uh, where it feels like they're starting over once again. And that sort of feels like the, the whole narrative of the program over the last 10 years is they've got something good going. Uh, it might be temporary, but there's something to build on and they don't build on it. Right. And, and I feel like, uh, it just becomes tired, tired after a while. How, how did you with Creighton, it's weird. Like, how did you view last year with Creighton? Because there was a part of me that felt a little, I don't know, frustrated is the right word. But there, last year was an interesting year. And yet they were close to winning the Big East. Like, if they beat Marquette late in February, in late February at home, like they were going to be in the driver's seat to potentially win the regular season. They make it to the Elite Eight. Yet last year's team felt like they left me wanting more, even though they made it to the freaking Elite Eight. Like, how did you, how are you kind of consuming Creighton's season from afar? Well, Nick, one of my, one of my conclusions in watching sports over the last 10 years and, and there are moments where it really jumps out, you know, Nebraska basketball 2014 and the Kansas city Royals 2014. And, you know, there are other moments along the way that the most fun following sports is when you're the program or the team that you watch is ahead of schedule. Uh, and, and, you know, there's so many, when they exceed your expectations, when they right. surprise you, uh, Creighton was the victim this year, uh, of a team that was that was trying to get to its level of expectation, even though they were really good. Yes. Uh, and and so there wasn't much joy in it because it felt like a high jumper trying to clear a bar that was just a little bit too high, right? And and I think obviously there's lots of reasons for that. I think Creighton um, and you are way closer to it than I am, but I think they were a little bit of a victim of of a team that that had too many guys that could do it on a given night and therefore nobody really felt uh like they were indispensable or or had to be responsible when things really when, when things were tough um they, they had a best player there's no doubt you know ryan kalkbrenner mm -hmm. was their best player uh they, they had you know four or five nba prospects but but i didn't feel like they had an alpha necessarily um, and I think in some ways as Creighton transitions into a new season where roles are potentially a little more defined, uh, I think they could benefit from that where, where everybody has a little bit better idea of where they stand in the hierarchy, as opposed to five guys standing at the top of the hierarchy and saying, uh, I might be the number one guy tonight. I might be the number five guy tonight. Uh, I think that's hard for any, any team. And I think it's specifically hard for a college team. Um, where, where everybody has high aspirations and they're not quite mature enough, you know, to handle one night where you score 22 and the next night when you score six. So, uh, I'll be interested to see how Creighton evolves, but, but I think they could benefit from a little bit more clarity in terms of roles. Yeah, that's interesting. I, you know what? You're right. I think, I think there's something to that. Like balance is good, but sometimes 
I don't know. There, there still needs to be like a clear cut alpha. And sometimes it's hard when your alpha is a big guy that needs yep. like he, you, you know, getting Kalkburn of the ball is still it's that's a different your team's going to be just naturally different when that's like when how Kalkbrenner dominates is kind of like blocking shots, being big, scoring on lobs. You know what I mean? Like that's a different kind of dominance when that's your best player, even though he was great. Uh yeah, it's they they were constructed in an, in an interesting way. I no, you look you look at college basketball, Nick, and this is true throughout generations. Uh, but I think specifically in the 21st century, um, you know, the teams that make the most sense, the teams that that perform at the highest level, are generally guard driven teams. You know, where the bigs are more the role players. Uh, and and I think Creighton struggled with that a little bit. I think the Shireman infusion was tough. Uh, I think Kaluma had a hard time. I think Creighton would you know this is nothing against Arthur Kaluma, but if you swapped a Gwicka rope for Arthur Kaluma, I think Creighton makes the final four. They needed some toughness. They yep. needed some grit. Uh, and, and they didn't really have that guy in the rotation that was just going to find a way to get a rebound, right. That was just going to, uh, to support the team in any way he could. Uh, and I'm not even saying those guys are selfish. I'm just saying that's not necessarily how they were, how they were built. So, um, I, I don't know. It's you never turn your back on talent. I realize that that's one of the most talented Creighton teams we've ever seen, maybe the most talented, but that doesn't necessarily mean the pieces fit together the best. Uh, and I think going forward, you know, Creighton's pieces might fit together a little bit better if they can keep some of these guys. I mean, I, I don't want to assume that, yeah. that, that all the guys that they want are going to come back because, Who knows? because that's just, that's just the nature of the business. But if they can find a way to keep, you know, keep the right guys, keep Kalkbrenner and keep Alexander specifically, you know, I, I think, I think it might just fit better than it did last year. Ah, oh, Dirk Chatlin. But by the way, as we say goodbye here, I, I, I will say I am like LeBron in this Lakers run. Like I am so invested in his story and his journey that I am like, I'm staying up till 1230 at night when I have no business staying up that late watching, I'm like so invested in in what this could be. I, I've I've really enjoyed this Lakers team. I have. Yep. I, I nothing in sports gives me more joy than the Golden State Warriors. Okay, and you can yeah. call me a bandwagon guy, but this goes back. No, I love Steph. I love Clay. This, yeah, yeah, right. Th right. This goes back to the Splash Brothers in about 2013, and I'm just like, okay, these guys are different. And for 10 years. These guys have given me more joy than yes. anything else in sports. Um, and, and so it's really hard to see kind of them age. But but the Lakers loss didn't even bother me that much because I just and this is this. I, I realize people get tired of LeBron, LeBron's drama and his politics and and other things. But I just have so much respect for what the guy has done in terms of you know, modifying his game and, and sort of uh, even this year becoming more deferential to players around him. Yes. Uh, and I think some of that is obviously by necessity, but he doesn't have to be the, the lead ball handler all the time. He doesn't have to run the show, you know, in that game one against Memphis, when Austin Reeves is going off, LeBron's like, Hey man, you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I just, I, I'm so, I have such admiration um, for his, for for his success and his longevity um and so the warriors loss to the lakers didn't bother me as much as i thought it would uh just because i i 
kind of just revere the guy at this point in his career. Uh, do I think they're going to be, you know, beat Denver? No. Um, but, but it's going to be fun to watch him try. And like you, I, I think the, uh, the NBA is, is worth staying up till midnight, and I, I do it basically every night during the playoffs. And then I, I kick myself every morning when, when my youngest <laughs> gets up, but it's so worth it for, for some of these guys, man. It's it's great. Uh, Dirk Chatlin. Hey, I, I, I need you to do me a favor. We got So I need you. Uh, I'm, I'm coaching uh, my seventh grader in basketball. I did it in the winter, and I'm doing it in the spring. Uh, I need you to come do some scouting reports for me. You okay. know, you need okay. to okay. Uh, give me give me a breakdown of what what we're doing wrong, what we're doing right, the coaching deficiencies that might <laughs> be correctable, and maybe the ones that might not be correctable. Uh, I feel like I got to tap into my resources here okay. and uh, and use you. Well, it's going to have to be in my in my very spare time because I I made the mistake I brought a dry erase board to my seven year old daughter's soccer practice and literally nice. had these seven year old girls get around. I was like, okay, here's he, you know, I draw on the positions and where they need to be, and it was not it in my head. I thought I was going to be given like the Al Pacino inches speech to him in you know any given Sunday, and they were not as enamored with it as I anticipated them being. But, I'm picture I'm picturing you as sort of a Ted Lasso character in this setting. Yes, uh, I, you know where you're you're uh, you're having like uh, you know like, vision, like, having visions about new alignments. Uh, and everything's an analogy to like. So when you're on defense, right? You're like you're like Draymond Green, right? You just got to come up there. You got to you got to just muck it up. Someone gets in your area, you're hitting them. You're, you know, I'm like I, I try to make analogies to basketball for everything, and these these little girls have no idea what I'm talking about. This but. feels like. You know, speaking of YouTube shorts and TikToks and things that we can put online, this feels like a huge missed opportunity to not record this and, and turn it into some sort of I you know, se- season on the brink of seven-year-old soccer. <laughs> I should have. I should have. I'd, I, cause I'd, my daughter and I, we had a big chalk talk after dinner like three weeks ago, and I was like, "Would this? Would do you think the other girls on the team would like this?" And she was like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Okay, yeah, we're going to practice with this," and it didn't. It didn't go as well as I thought it would. But what I what I have realized, and it's it's even true at twelve and thirteen year old boys in basketball. Anytime you try to make something schematic or run a oh, play man. or think that the answer is is X's and O's. You're you're just so wrong. So like, wrong. You're so wrong. It's it's always about effort and intensity and yes. you know fo- focus and concentration. It is it is almost never <laughs> about what you're actually doing <laughs> X's and O's. That, not at all. Uh, you're so right. Oh god. Okay. Well, yes. Uh, well, hopefully, I, I'll try to get down and watch uh, and 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 provide a, a scouting report for your group at some point. Okay. That's what we're, that's what we played. We played eight games last weekend, Nick. Oh my god. No, uh, you didn't. I know. I think we were violating child labor laws. Wow. Wow. Load. Ma- you're gonna have to begin load management for for your for your seventh graders here. <laughs> I was like Sheesh. calling. Yeah, I was. I was calling every seventh grader I, I know, and I'm like, "Hey, can you give us can you give us a few minutes?" On I need Saturday ten minutes. I need ten minutes. All right, we're gonna sit in a two three zone. We'll conserve your energy, <laughs> but I need ten minutes out of you. Can you can you help me out? You've you've never played before. Doesn't matter. Just so, stand in the middle of the wing. Can you set a screen and can you stand there? Like that's all we need from you. I love it. That's good. Eight games is a lot, though. My word. That is that is a ton. Hopefully the Burger King or Runs or whatever tasted fantastic afterwards. Absolutely, yep. absolutely. Hey, way to way to drop your sponsor in there. That's good out, probably got some Pella windows to go along with it and some Runza. You know that that makes it all worth it. Okay, makes it all worth it. Hey, Dirk, uh, this was good. I, I've been dying to talk to you, and uh, it did not disappoint. We will be doing it more in the near future. Okay, pal. 
Sounds great. Appreciate it, Nick. All right, Dirk. See you, pal. A Herd at Sports Network production.